You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Ruth chapter number one, and we'll be looking at the topic of faith again. And uh, let, me, let me challenge you to do this before I get into the message. Summer is approaching, and let me challenge you to be faithful. And it's easy to cool off in the summer. Think about that. We think about the temperature getting warmer, but oftentimes spiritually, if we're not careful, things get cold. They get cooler in the summer. Because of our schedule, there's a lot of activity in things. But let's not just put church out there on the peripheral with everything else that rotates around in our life. Let's keep it the hub of our life. Really, if you just keep the Lord the hub of your life, church takes care of itself. But uh, it's not time to cut back or slack up, but we want to see a profitable summer. And as we're entering into that, let's just stay faithful. And I've got a burden tonight for the message that God's laid on my heart. And I'm concerned a little bit, not a little bit, a lot of bit. I'm concerned for families, for churches, and for our nation. And I honestly don't think this is going to be the best sermon that you've ever heard. And I know it probably won't be the best sermon I've ever preached. But I think that if God will help us get hold of the truth, it could keep us from heartache down the road and hard times down the road. And if God would let me, I can't really explain it to you, but I have been burdened more so today than normal for a message. And I want God to meet with us tonight. In Ruth chapter number one, Ruth, of course, is the eighth book of the Bible. Eight in your Bible and Bible numbers is a number of new beginnings. And God will give this family a fresh start, a second chance, but not without tragedy happening first. In this opening chapter, let's look at it together. We're going to read the first five verses. I want you to see what the Bible says. Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Now, notice it says a famine. It doesn't say the famine. It's just a famine. What that means is it's just one of many to come in life. That is exactly how life is. It is not one wave and it's over, but it is wave after wave of hardship, of trial, of decisions, of ups and downs. And here's what I want to leave with you as we read on. Don't make a decision in a hard time that's going to affect you for the rest of the time that you live here on earth. A famine came, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn just to pass on through. In the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. There's a progression here. He sojourned, now they've continued. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, watch this phrase, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the, of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth, and they dwelled there. You see the progression? Sojourn, continued, dwelled. They got accustomed to it and got comfortable. They settled. And look how long, about 10 years. A decade of bad decision. A decade of staying out of the will of God. And Malon and Chilion died, and both of them, also both of them, and the woman, here's the phrase again, the woman was left of her two sons and of her husband. In Ruth chapter number one, there is an absolute decade of digging graves, 
and crying through the night. Sorrow and bitterness for a decade. A family that had promise, a family that had had provision, a family that was placed literally in the will of God, in Judah, in Bethlehem of all places. And yet a decade of their story is heartache, hardship, funerals, three broken homes, and a woman who went out pleasant and comes back bitter. Why is that? The cause is in the first verse, a famine. Not the famine, but just a passing circumstance. A famine. But that famine led them out of the will of God. For a little while this evening, I want to preach on this thought. A famine is no time for faithlessness. A famine is not time to abandon faith. That's what faith was made for. Faith is not to be cast overboard in the storm. That's what faith is made for. Faith is not forsaken in the battle. That's why you have faith. Faith was made for the battle. And I honestly believe this is going to make or break us in the day and hour in which we live. Because we are living absolutely in a famine season. Spiritually, politically, economically. I mean, I am so aggravated and I prayed that God wouldn't let me preach on it tonight. But I'm going to probably get on the price of airline tickets tonight. Because I am so discouraged over that. And gas and things. But it is no time to abandon the Lord. Let's think on this thought. And you pray with me. Lord, I pray that you'd help me. I pray that you'd help our church. I pray for power. I pray that you'd help us to get anchored, not just be around faith, but help us to be anchored in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a patriot in 1776 during the American Revolution named Thomas Paine. And Thomas Paine made a statement, these are the times that try men's souls. You've probably heard the statement. He talked about the uh, summer soldier and the sunshine patriot, those who were fair weather and how they would shrink back in the day of crisis and run from the battle. He made this statement and he said, Tyranny like hell will be not easily conquered. But we have this consolation. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Tonight I want you to think with me, a famine is no time for faithlessness. In Proverbs 24 and verse 10, the Bible said, If thou faint in the day of adversity, then your strength is small. A famine is no time, Father. It's no time, Mother. It's no time, young person, for faithlessness. Jeremiah 12, 15, we hear a lot about that. It said, If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with the horsemen? A famine is no time for faithlessness. You read on the rest of that verse, and he basically says, if, he said, If you can't make it in this land of peace, how are you going to do when the Jordan starts to swell? How are you going to make it when your finances get turned upside down? How are you going to make it whenever you lose your job? How are you going to make it when you have a child go out into the world? How are you going to make it when everything around you seems to be falling apart? A famine is no time for faithlessness. In Amos chapter 8 and verse 11, the Bible said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I'll send a famine in the land. But not a famine of bread or a famine of hunger or thirst of water. He said it's a famine of not being able to hear the word of the Lord. A famine is no time to abandon your faith in God. You say, what's a famine? It's a time of extreme and sweeping scarcity. A famine means empty fields. 
A famine means empty cupboards. A famine means empty bellies. And a famine, it means empty purses. A famine would affect finances. A famine would affect the family. A famine would affect your food. A famine would ultimately affect your flesh. A famine leads to hunger. A famine leads to despair. A famine can lead to doubt. And a famine leads to death. But listen, a famine is no time to have no faith in God. A famine is no time for faithlessness. A famine is not easy. But can I say, you and I have not been called to a life of ease. We have been called to a life of warfare and standing for the faith. We're to endure hardness as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not easy. It is not easy to hear your children cry for hunger. It is not easy to see your table barren and have no food upon it. It is not easy to watch as your cash flow gets low. It is not it's not easy to have your home crumble down around you. It is not easy for your dreams to come crashing down to earth. It is not easy to lose control over your life. A famine afflicts your flesh. And when your flesh is afflicted, your faith comes under attack. But tonight, I pray we'll get this thing nailed down. It is not time to abandon your faith in God when the table's bare, when the cupboards are empty, when your belly Grounds. God is still in control. He was God before the famine. He is God in the famine. And he's the God that can see us through the famine. In a famine, you, help, you helplessly watch as things just get dry and then they die. A famine can be caused by war. It can be caused by pestilence. And it's caused, it's caused by a dearth due to no rain. No rain from heaven. And it leads from a parching and perishing of things here below. You're just powerless to watch the effects of the famine. The world around you seems to die. And you're helplessly standing there and a witness to a famine's a tough time. No rain, no food, no peace, but it's a time where you must keep the faith. Tonight we are living in an Amos 8 situation. We are living, I believe, in days of famine. I don't think I have to convince you of that. I don't think we need to have a church-wide vote on it. I think we would all agree that we are living in a famine in 2022. It is a famine politically. It is a famine morally. It is a famine famine in society. It's a famine inside the church house. Everywhere you go, there's a sweeping and extreme scarcity of things we desperately need. I tell you, it's discouraging and it's disheartening to see all the things getting dry and dying around us. We're living in a day where things are parched and they're perishing. And our only hope is if God would send a heavy rain down to us from heaven above. I tell you, it's a famine day. I get so discouraged. I wish it wasn't this way. I wish I didn't care so much. I don't know how to explain it. I wish I didn't think about it in the night. And I wish I didn't think about it when I travel. And I wish I didn't think about it when I'm in my office. And I wish it'd be light and fun. And it burdens me and bothers me to see what's happening in our nation and to see what's happening in our churches and to see what's happening in our homes today. I tell you, it bothers me. It bothers me today that I had to pay three times the amount for an airline ticket 
certificate due to failed leadership in our nation causing inflation. It bothers me that at the gas pump, I mean, you really have to get maybe a quarter tank of gas because you can't afford to fill her up. That bothers me. It bothers me that the home prices are what they are and the rent is so astronomical. It bothers me for our country. The corruption bothers me. It bothers me that it's even up for debate whether or not a baby in the womb is alive. You can't tell me that a baby in the womb is not alive and then one second later out of the womb it is. You've got to be stuck on some kind of ignorance to even believe or push that. That is wicked and that is sin. But that's where we're at in America. There's a famine of morality. I tell you, it makes me so upset and sad. I'm not mad at it. I'm just sad at the transgender thing being pushed on our young people. It is not normal. It is not right. It is not acceptable. I know somebody's probably going to send me a negative email. I've already had a bunch of them today, so who, I don't really, it's fine. It's okay. It bothers me at Target now that they have an entire section in Target promoting that horrible, I mean, just, it's a, a mental and sinful lifestyle. I mean, to suppress a body and change uh, the, the, the look of a body. Can I say that is right out of hell. That is wicked. That's an abomination. And what bothers me is God's people won't say amen when a preacher preaches it. Can I say it's a famine day? It's a famine day in our churches. Uh, the average pastor is so frivolous. He's so light. He's a fun guy. He wants to just hang out. He wants to live at the level of his people and not get up on the mountain with God. You can keep all that. I want the power of God and the touch of God. No, not perfect, but I want to see God do something. I tell you, it's not fun time. It is God's time, and I want to honor him in all that we do. We're living in a famine kind of a day, but a famine is no time for faithlessness. It is not easy to live in a famine. It's not easy to see the marginalization of Christ. It is not easy to watch perverts on parade. It is not easy to have a leash put on my liberty. It is not easy to finance inflation. It is not easy to see the trivialization of life. It is not easy to see the compromise of churches and Christians from good churches. It is not easy to have friends forsake you and family scorn you. It is not easy to have your hopes robbed and your dreams come crashing down. But can I say the last thing that you ought to ever do is to leave the will of God and say no to God and abandon God, anchor in faith in a famine. Amen. I'm a little fired up. I need to calm down. I know it's not a conference. Let me just preach to you like it's Wednesday night. The book of Ruth is ultimately a record of redemption. But the opening chapter is the story of famine, funerals, and faithlessness. The book is set during the period of the judges and it focuses on a family the head of the family is a man named Elimelech. Now, I want you to consider this character or this man. First, think about his nation. He's a Hebrew. He's a blessed man. He's a covenant man. He's a child of God. He lives in Bethlehem, Judah. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. The word Judah means praise be to God. So he literally lives where God supplies the bread and God is praised. He's a blessed man because of his nation. And then I want you to consider his name. His name, Elimelech, literally means my God is king. You know what that means? That means he had some good parents. He had somebody that birthed him into this.
this world that understood God is on the throne and God is in control. I'd say he probably had a pretty good upbringing around the things of God. But his nation and his name could not change his nature. You find that Elimelech was fickle and Elimelech was frail and Elimelech was weak because he was a man of flesh just like you and I. The circumstances of the chapter lead us into this tragedy. Politically, there's a lot of pressure. He's living in the day of the judges. If you study the book of Judges, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They had leadership that was unstable, uh, unstable leadership that was not trustworthy. He had good leaders and bad leaders and wars, and they had pestilence, they had invasion. He's living in political unrest and political uncertainty. Not only politically, but economically. Think about the condition. Because of this famine in the land, you better believe it began to touch his pocketbook. People can endure until their pocketbook starts to get impacted. Elimelech starts to feel the pressure of putting food on the table for his family. Maybe he watched as his own fields became barren and started to dry up. Spiritually, it was bad as well. Those people were given to sin. They weren't having revival during most of the period of the judges. And personally in his life, the circumstances weren't real good. I would say probably at home, it was the discussion between husband and wife. How are we going to make it through another day? Somewhere along the line, he begins to think, how can I salvage the situation? And that's where he got in trouble. Whenever you take control of your life, you're asking God to not have control. That is the definition of faithlessness when you say, God, I got this for a second, and when I get it figured out, you can come back into the situation. That is faithlessness. I want you to see how it opens. Now, it came. You say, what came? A trial's coming. A test is coming. Trouble's coming. It said it's a famine. What happens is a bad season comes to a good spot. A famine comes to Bethlehem, Judah. The place where God has promised to bless. The place where God has met the need. The place where God has planted his people and this family in particular. And a famine comes. Let me say the will of God is always the best place. But it doesn't mean every season in the will of God is going to be smooth sailing. There's going to be trial and trouble and testing even in the will of God. Elimelech has been raised around faith. But it's apparent he was not anchored in faith. His very name says God is in control. And faith. Faith would cry out, God is in control. But the action that he takes tells us Elimelech wanted control of his life. Now look what happens. In the very moment where his family needed him the most, they needed their husband and they needed their father to have faith in God, Elimelech asked God in essence to take his hand off the wheel and Elimelech takes control of his life. He uproots his family and he takes them to a place called Moab. Now you understand, you've heard it before. Moab is a type of the world. It is God's wash pot. It's a cursed place. It's a condemned place. It's a pagan place. They sacrificed babies in Moab. They had prostitutes as their priestesses there in Moab. Immorality and devaluing of life there. And he takes his family to sojourn in Moab. He's saying, well, we'll just pass through this place. But you read down through the chapter, and here's what happened. Because daddy got out of the will of God. There's a decade
decade of digging graves and crying themselves to sleep at night and broken homes. Why? Because he abandoned faith when a trial came. I want you to understand, faith is not made for the easy day. It is made for the hard day. Faith is not made for the mountain. It is made for the valley. Faith is not made for when you're well. It is made for when you're sick. Faith is not made for abundance. It is made when for lack. Faith is not made. Faith is not made for peacetime. It is made for battle. It's in the valley of Elah. You should have faith. It is in the den of lions. You must have faith. It is in the Mamertine prison. We must have faith. And I promise you this, you'll regret every moment that you abandon faith and take control of your life away from God. I wish I could jump in here to verse number one and just counsel with Elimelech for a minute and say, wait a minute, before you go, before you go, before you go, at least give me an example where God has failed you. Before you exit, before you deny the Lord, before you just go there where you know you shouldn't go, just give me a time when he's not been faithful. Give me an example where he didn't make it work out for you. Give me an example where you had a need and God didn't supply the need. Give me an example where God did not meet your expectation and then go even further than your expectation. But Elimelech makes the decision. Didn't have any counsel. He goes to this land of Moab. He takes his boys with him. He takes his wife with him. He's not there very long. And then he dies. What a testimony. Daddy dies outside the will of God. After some time, the two boys died outside of the will of God. And here's what they found out. The famine in Moab was much worse than the famine in Judah different kind of famine much worse when you abandon faith in God I promise you this the famine will be a lot worse than whatever it was you thought you were facing when you had faith in God you ask folks who get out of the will of God and they would if they were honest with you they'd say boy it's a lot worse it's a lot worse now that we have all the broken pieces of what used to be our life we're trying to gather them up and put them back together. A famine is no time for faithlessness. He said, we'll just sojourn, but that's never how it works. They begin to continue there. And ultimately, a decade, uh, Naomi dwells there. Now, let me apply this for a minute. I said, faith is not made for calm. It's made for storm. It is not made for days of ease. It's made for days of difficulty. It is a tragedy to read the story and envision those three heaped up graves that were dug out of God's will and those three broken homes because they got out of God's will because they abandon their faith in God and tonight only eternity is going to be able to tell how many are in that long line of tragedy and that towering mound of destruction because they abandon faith in God during a season of famine that's exactly where we're at this day in America but can I say it's not time for you not to sell out on our faith in God we got to anchor ourselves in that faith we might just see God turn this thing around we might just see God send a great revival it might just be that God wants to get us so far down that will look up to him and realize he is on his throne. Can I say it was God that allowed the famine to come and God that would lead the famine to close and God is still God in our generation as well. Child of God, don't lose faith in your God. Others might fail you, but Jesus never fails. Have faith in the Lord. I began to look at this. What in the world led to his faithfulness? And let me give you three things and I'll close. Number one, there's a root of faithlessness. You see what do you mean? The name of his children. I never thought about this till today, honestly. Malon and Shilion. Malon means sickly, and the other boy's name means pining away. When did they name their children? When did they name their children? When they were born. They didn't name those boys in famine. 
They named those boys in Bethlehem when bread was on the table. That means there was a root of faithlessness already in their heart. Now listen to what I'm about to say. Famine did not birth faithlessness. It revealed faithlessness. COVID, I hate talking about it, but it's just what we got. COVID, financial reversal, tragedy, hard times. It doesn't reveal somebody's lack of faith in God. Or I mean, it doesn't birth somebody's lack of faith in God. It reveals their lack of faith in God. It started way back yonder when the bread was still hot from the oven. When the bank account was high, when the house was good. I tell you what led them to uproot and go. They never were thankful in the first place. Amen. You know what you deserve from God? Eternity in hell. Nothing more and nothing less. Everything you and I get over eternity in hell is extra blessing on top of what we ought to get. Amen. But I tell you what happens. Man, the first time, well, God didn't give me that raise, so I'm going to quit on God. Wait a minute. You're not going to hell. You've been saved for all eternity, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and we abandoned God. Well, God, let this sickness come to our family. Hey, you can't tell me God's not been good in your life. Anything you have outside of hell is a blessing from God. Can I say Moab was in their heart before they ever made their home in Moab? And that's the problem with God's people for not careful we get out long before we ever get out and then the trial comes and the trouble comes and it doesn't create that wanting to uproot it doesn't create that exit it just reveals it was there all the while root yourself in faith but then there's a revelation of his faithlessness you say what's that he reacted so quickly there's a famine in the land how many people live in Bethlehem anyhow more than just one family. But only one family, according to our text, that we can read into, made the decision to go to Moab. Famine was bad, but it wasn't bad enough for everybody else to abandon God. Amen. Wasn't bad enough for everybody else to sell out. Everybody else just weathered it, trusted God and stayed in his will. And after verse number five, they got word, hey, listen, God brought bread back where he used to bring bread. still there. His reaction showed his faithlessness. The way we respond to difficulty exposes whether or not we have faith in God. The way we respond when things don't go our way. The way we react when trouble rolls in and out of life. It's a revelation of where we stand with the Lord. Hey, should I receive good things from the Lord, not evil things too? Doesn't it rain? I mean, some days on the just and the unjust, it'll rain. It'll be sunny the next day. Isn't God in control either way? We sing the song like that. God's always on his throne, right? We believe that, don't we? But I tell you, sometimes God's people were so quick. We want God just to be the big blesser in the sky. God's primary job is not just to bless you. He's trying to make you more like Jesus Christ. And sometimes it might take bitter waters to make you more like Jesus Christ. The root, the revelation, and then you see the result. What is the result? They died out of the will of God. Don't lose faith in God. You say, it's a hard time, Brother Cooper. Financially, I know that. Financially, it's a hard time. Spiritually, it is a hard time. I had conversations this week with younger preachers. And it just so discouraged me. I, 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 need, I, need, I need one of you fellows to come live with me so I don't have to talk to my wife about it because she'll probably get discouraged. I need you to come discourage you. <laughs> it blew my mind, though. I was talking... We have, we have, anyway, it, it, blew, it, blew my, it blows my mind. I, I don't understand 
there are some things more important than you having people like you. You listening right here on this front? There's some things more important than you having a fan club and a following and not getting any pressure. Not taking any heat. There is truth that is more important than that. And there is a cause that we're fighting for that is more important than that. And there's a future generation, which is yours, that is more important than capitulating, compromising, and assimilating with things that are wrong. And it is discouraging, brethren. I mean, it is discouraging. Pastor Trevor and I are up here talking, having a conversation on the platform. He's like, we, don't, we, we work right beside each other and don't talk very much in the office. And it's probably a good thing we don't. Because we're like just the like like that. I mean, it's, we're discourage each other. And then we'll come out here and say, I'm so encouraged about what's going on, you know, and just lie right to everybody. I'm not discouraged at all. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> we're just crying in the office about it. But it's, it's depressing. It is discouraging. So what are we going to do? Are we just going to change everything? What are we going to do? We'll just, how about this? Let's just give in to the mean tweet and alter everything that we believe so that that one person who nobody even knows who it is is happy with us. You don't think we ought to do that maybe? Wouldn't that make sense? I mean, never mind God or the Bible or the Holy Spirit or heritage or history or anything like that. Let's just, let's just make sure that the little backslidden prophet in his mother's basement is not upset with us on his Twitter anymore. And so let's switch things. Is that what we should do? No, I'm not going to abandon faith, my faith in a famine. There might be a handful. There's more than a handful, but let's just say there was just a handful of old-time preachers. It'd still be right, not because of the numbers. It'd be right because of the Bible. Everybody all right? Church is still right. Do I abandon church because it's not popular? A church that the world loves is not going to change the world. It'll be a church that the world hates that changes the world. The church, the world does not need a worldly church. Amen. I said this at the youth conference last week. The world is a much better evangelizer than the church is. Because the church is far more worldly than the world is churchy. It's so... I think a lot of it is second generation, third generation. I'm glad, in a way, I'm glad I got saved later in life. I chose this. Wasn't raised in it. Thank God for you who are, but don't take it for granted. Man, I got saved, and I thought, that's what I want to be, because I've been on the other side of the fence. I like this side better. But I think we get numb to how good God's been. And so the first little bit of pressure, we just abandon it. Famine is no time for faithlessness. We say we want to see revival. We say we want to do something for the next generation. We're adding a two-year program at the college. We're trying to raise money for summer projects. There's a lot of big needs that are going to require more than just us having a pep rally, getting our emotions stirred. We're going to have to have faith in God for some of these things. It's a big deal. I mean, 17 months until there's no debt. We have buses to run and need drivers. I mean, it's overwhelming to think about it. I mean, it is overwhelming to think about how much needs to happen and how much we need to make it happen. And yet at the same time, we march in here and sing, hey, we're on the winning side and victory in Jesus. Why is that? Because we're not dependent upon a banker or a stock market. We're not looking to man for this thing, but we have faith in God. But can I say, it's not going to be easy, and it's not always going to be just smooth sailing. And those seasons are when you need faith the most. I'm not ready to raise the white flag and surrender to a compromising generation. Raise the white flag and surrender to the financial burden that we're under. Amen. Not ready to raise the white flag and surrender just because a health crisis came. God, help us to have faith in God even in 
times of famine. Moab was carnal and it was cursed and man, nothing but coffins for that family out of the will of God. Don't make a decision that will last a lifetime in a passing circumstance. Have faith in God, even in a famine. And here's something else you can help yourself with. Don't talk negative about the famine in the meantime. Just talk positive about the God who can give you bread. I'm going to pray. I feel like I didn't even, I did not preach what I wrote down on my outline tonight. I hate that feeling. I'm usually so prepared and I just preach my outline. And tonight, none, nothing I said for the last 20 minutes is on my outline. It's on my heart. I really want God to do something here, don't you? I mean, I really do. I do not want to waste my life. I don't want to waste our time. I don't want to waste our window. I don't want to play at this thing. I don't want to just watch pews empty out and things. No. Man, I want to see God do something. I just believe God is as big as he ever was. You say, well, I wish we had these people. No, God's got to hear who he wants here. We got everything we need and then some and what we've got, but we've got to have faith in God. It's too important for us to roll over. It's too big for us to lay down. We can't afford to just play at this thing and cut corners and soften up. We got to hold the line and stay straight and do it right and keep your family in church and have prayer time at night. Ask God to touch your home and ask God for his power and teach your Sunday school and sing in the choir and run the buses and love on each other and give a tithe and give a sacrificial offering and show up early and stay late and shake hands and love on God and just do church. We can just have fun here if we just have faith in God. Well, I need to quit. I, want, I like talking on Wednesday night too, I think, but I tell you, I want God to do something, don't you? What if we'd all just go on an altar on a Wednesday night and pray that God send revival and God would give us faith in a famine? I wonder if you'd do that. She said, I never go to the altar. Well, this is your opportunity. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.